Thanks so much for that. We Every time we are here with you, um, which we pray for you every week, but uh, every time we're here with you, I, 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 I walk into this space with humility. Um, the, I, I talked about this the first time I ever came here, but uh, the idea that from the same location in the city of Providence, you can have decrees that change the entire state happen there. You could have decrees that change the entire state here. And from the same space, you have decrees that can change lives. And so the invitation is, which one do we trust today? Which one do we trust the most? And so I am just, in, I just walk in here with, with humility because the idea that, that there's a healthy church from the same space uh, right up the street uh, from the, uh, from the state house is, is something that I don't think is by accident. And so I just bless you in that um, and as we walk together there. Um, so, so, so cool to be here with you. Yeah, Andrew and I have known each other for a few years. The first time he ever spoke at my church, I mispronounced his name. So that tells you how um, awesome that was. That was awkward. Like, let me tell you about my new friend, uh, Andrew Mook. Um, and he had to correct me from the, uh, from the floor, which is awesome. That's an awesome color in, in, uh, in the midst of leading your, com- your community. It's really fun. So, hey, we're going to be in Genesis 2 today. Um, so if you have Bibles or you kind of listen along, we're gonna, that's where we're going to be. Um, I have a little, just a, a few encouragements for you when it comes to community. But did you know there's 5 million species, over 5 million species uh, on the planet Earth today? That's kind of where they're at. Like, somebody counted. Praise the Lord for that, right? My word. Five million, but you can, pretty much, you can pretty much break them into two major categories. You can categorize them by social species or by anti-social species. At the, at the core of a social species is this idea that they have to live beyond themselves. And so humans are what is known as a social species. I bet that blessed you this morning, right? I just didn't know that, right? We're a social species. We create things, right? We create, we live outside of ourselves and we create cultures, we create organizations, we create communities. This is what we do. It's baked into who we are, hardwired into our biology. It's this idea that we need to be with other people. It's like not a decision you get to make, Right? Everyone's like, I'm an introvert. No thanks. They're like, no, that's just not, like biology doesn't work that way. I'm sorry uh, to say. Uh, but there's this idea that, that, that we can see something like this. And, and the school of fish um, is actually an example of this. Doesn't, it looks like it has a life of its own, right? It, but, but all of those are little individuals. And what's happening in this moment is all these little fish they, ha- they, are, they are trying to do one thing. It's governing this entire community. One thing, which is don't get eaten. Pretty simple, right? Little dude on the side wants to get inside because they know the shark can't get them there. But here's the thing. Here's what neuroscientists are, are, are they're understanding here. That the longer you are on the outside of this school the longer that you experience something called social isolation, or which is the long way of saying loneliness. We, we track in so far this morning. Loneliness is actually an experience that you have that it's a signal just like food and water and just like hunger and thirst, loneliness is, a, is like an example of, of what's going on. 
is saying you are in need of something. So if you're hungry, you get food. If you're thirsty, you get water. If you're lonely, you get relationships. It's actually a part of how your brain is structured. It's a part of how your brain is wired. When you get this pulse, you begin to say, all right, I need to reach out in a relationship. The problem that's happening today is that what we're doing is instead of reaching out to another human, we're reaching out to uh, social media, and it's kind of giving us a fake sense of this community. It's not the healing type of relationship that you need. So here's the deal. When you experience this isolation, you begin to experience something called social preservation. This is what happens. You become less empathetic. Your brain is literally unable to experience life through somebody else's shoes. You become more, like, hypersensitive, meaning, like, like you begin to see the problems even though there are no, no problems, right? Have you ever, like, someone walked up to you and be like, hey, how's it going? Hey, like, you kind of, like, kind of freaked out about it? Yeah, like, all the time, right? You're like, no, leave me alone, man. <laughs> I'm just, just trying to get my coffee, sit in the back row. No offense to people in the back row. You become hypersensitive. If you want to see a problem, you'll see it. And maybe this, like this, this could be healing for you in some of your relationships, maybe in your marriage. Like sometimes when you experience loneliness, it's a lot easier to say, uh, hey, I'm mad at you versus, hey, I'm lonely. Right? Uh, then you're prone to health issues. This is what's crazy about this. The longer you experience this social isolation, the more, you're, the, the more that you'll begin to experience something called micro-awakenings, meaning that you won't sleep well. Because your brain is constantly on the lookout for threats. You'll experience higher stress hormones. So cortisol and adrenaline will be pumped through your body because your body is saying to you, we just need to not get eaten by sharks. You'll begin to look for problems that aren't there. Your, your relationships will break down. You'll begin to understand that, man, we are struggling with just over arching relational problems. Um, uh, other health issues, literally, like, like when you experience this, you're, you're going to begin to have a higher blood, uh, blood pressure. Your cholesterol will, will rise. It's like all based off not anything physical. Like it's not off like the three slices of pizza that I ate last night, praise the Lord. But it's off the relationships that you do not have. This is what's funny. The researchers are saying this, that all of us are 40% more likely to experience some sort of this uh, phenomenon within the next year. This is meaning that none of our relationships are structured to last the year. Isn't that crazy? Like we don't have, se we have seasonal friends. Seasonal relationships based off things that we do that we're interested in. The other thing is that like, like we're, we're just, this is also causing or, or it's actually linked to 45% of early deaths in, so, uh, in senior citizens. This whole phenomenon. And then this is my favorite part. You go through all this. This is like terrible news, isn't it? Like it's not fun. This is like awkward. This is an awkward way to start a sermon. It's way too long. But, but you, you hear all of that and we know all of this. And then you read this verse in Genesis chapter 2. If you put that on the screen. It is not good for man to be alone. And everyone goes, oh. Right? Oh. And, and, and you begin to understand, okay, yeah, it's not good for man to be alone. And science 
actually colors in what Jesus has been talking about since he created the world. But let's read the context together, Genesis 2, uh, Genesis 2, chapter 15. It says this, The Lord placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over, but the Lord God warned him, You may freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Then God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he could call them, and the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the, living, the livestock, all the birds of the sky, all the wild animals, but still there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She'll be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. What does God create for Adam here more than just the first love song? He creates community for Adam, right? It's not good for men to be, I'm going to create community. Here's what happened. Here's where Paul takes this in Ephesians chapter 5. This is mind-blowing if you put that next verse on the screen there. He says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. He's quoting this verse in Genesis 2. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Paul takes this verse and says, okay, here's marriage and all this fun community relationship thing. What you're actually experiencing is your pulse for the body of Christ. Are we, are we tracking so far? And if not, you can watch, listen to the podcast later and go slowly. This is, this is mind-blowing to me. Baked within you is a pulse put there by God with somebody. I need you to be in relationship. He puts you in that community and then he says, that community is actually what I call the church. Baked into your hard wiring as human beings is this need, this insatiable need to be part of the body of Christ. So much so that your body gives you pulses for it. So much so that you long for it and you try to fill it in other ways, but you can't. Until you get here. And I think the people that understand church world, the people that understand and experience the depths of, of the, the body of Christ understand this, that it's not so much a thing to do on Sunday, but it's actually something at the soul level that is being filled. Are we, track, are we there on that, right? So Paul takes this into this crazy way. And so we have to ask the question, what is it like to love the way he's talking about here? What's it like to live in community the way that Paul is talking about. And Jesus gives us that. In John chapter 13, he says this, and now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. And you're like, really, I came here for this. It's just another love each other sermon. And I think this is gonna be something really fun for us as a community. He says, love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world you're my disciples. So how do we do this? 
How do we love? And here's what we tend to do is when we say, okay, love each other. Okay, okay, I got I to gotta have the emotion of love. I got to have the emotion of love or I got to like dive into it just like that. And we take what we, do, what we know culturally about love and we define John 13 by it. But I think what the Bible wants to teach us is how to love the way God loves. How to love the way God is, is actually modeling love. And so today, if I could give you a four-point Baptist sermon, would you allow me to do that? No, four of you? All right. All the Baptists in the room are like, no, get me out of here. But there are a few components that will actually create a healing relationship for you. Daniel Seigal, he's a neuroscientist from UCLA, said that there's actually some relationships that will create healing. Not just like a buddy sitting around watching the game, but like it will actually infuse new life into your brain, into your relation, into your, into your physical body if the components are there. Many times we sub it out. We say, eh, it's, you know, we'll try to do this, we'll try to do that, we'll try to like, you know, maybe text back and forth a little bit. But he said, no, there's certain types of components that your brain needs in a relationship that will actually heal you, will actually move you forward. And, and those components, the Bible talks about in the way that God loves us, there's four of them. The first one is commitment. The first one's commitment. God makes a promise to us. And it would be just like God to model the love that we want, that he wants us to show other people with the generally unexciting idea of making a promise to somebody. It's like what I'm teaching my first grader now. Like just make a promise and stick to it. And please don't leave your Legos on the floor so I die in the middle of the evening. But God promises to us. And, and, and so he starts this with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, right? He makes a covenant. It's just the covenant is I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. And you will inhabit a land that I give you. He gives that to David. He renews it in Jeremiah. He makes a new covenant in Jesus. And at the end of it in Revelation 21, he says, guess what? I will be your God and you'll be my people. He's been making this promise to us all the time. But here's what we do today, and humans today, our culture today, we don't make promises, we make premises. We don't make a promise, we set the groundwork for what that relationship will look like. And so the premise of how I'm gonna be involved with you is going to look like this. And if that promise falls through, my prenup kicks in. And so the floor is my premise. God's floor is his promise. And so, so what he does in Genesis chapter 15 is they do this really awkward thing where he split, they split animals and they walk through it. Thankfully, we didn't bring that one into 2019. But, but he would walk through, he, they would walk through these animals as a sign of this covenant to each other. But both parties would do it, but not God. Genesis 15, only he walks through these animals. Why? Because this is solely based off him. God promises us. We need the concept of the promise back in our culture. Who's a person you can promise yourself to? 
here's the thing. Now, Mary, we talk about marriage, right, and how the divorce rate is so high. Everyone debates, so is it 30%, 50%, I don't know, 100%, whatever. I think the biggest thing that's showing us that promises are hard to make has nothing to do about the divorce rate. It's that marriage, the age of marriage has risen by 10 years in less than half a decade, in half a century. What used to be in like the 1960s, it was 22 years old. And the average age of marriage right now is 30, 31, 32. Everyone is putting, premise, putting, putting this weight on this promise that we're trying to make. And so what the call is to move away from, prom, away from premises into promises and to walk in the commitment that God models for us. You want to love someone like God has loved you, you got to first start with making a rugged commitment. It's not void of emotions, but it redirects our emotions. Every relationship is jam-packed full of emotion, but it's redirected through the promise. How are we tracking this morning? Go ahead. So commitment, we got to start there. Next, the next thing, we have to make a commitment with, for our presence. God is with us. You know, there's two major Hebrew words for the name of God in the Old Testament. It's Yeshua, God saves, and Emmanuel, God is with us. It should be no surprise to us that salvation and presence in the Bible are inextricably linked. God is with us. The covenant, I will be your God, you will be my people, is not just a promise. It's really a promise to be with them. And he was with them in the tabernacle. He was with them in the temple. He was with them in Jesus. The closest that he could ever get to us It was not just by existing in a building, but by actually becoming one of us. He becomes a part of us when he sends the spirit to us. And then he says, now you are the temple. He's with us. He's with us now. Presence is this incredibly beautiful promise. Real fast, I want to give you four quick areas. You can have you can you can you can you can uh, prom, you can have presence with it. The first one is public public presence. This is like a known interest. This is like a public gathering, right? If you didn't know, now you know. This is a public gathering. Um, the New England Patriots game, public gathering, right? Um, I, we, we took our oldest son to a, a Patriots game, and he realized that there were two grown men chest bumping that didn't know each other, and that was weird. But that's what, that's what public gatherings do. You gather around a so, an interest. Then there's a social one. You share your background info, maybe like happy hour. You're trying to like, you know, get, uh, get together with someone, trying to, you know, make a network or whatever. Then you have private eye contact for 10 plus seconds, Try that. When you go home with your wife or you go home with your boyfriend, girlfriend, or maybe with your dog, I don't know, whatever you, however you got this going. Um, just a friend. You'll know you are past the social stage when you move to private and you can make eye contact for 10 seconds. It's hard. And it's awkward now that, that the pastor told you to do it. Like, it's be like, you know, the pastor just told us to do that. I'm going to stare. Um, and the last one's intimate, naked and unashamed. You could probably only experience this with three to five people. But this is this promise, this presence to be with. That's what God does. The third thing he does is he makes this commitment, right? He makes a commitment to be with. He makes a commitment to be for as an advocate. 
for us. He makes a commitment to be for you. And man, you, you hear about this all the time, that you have a God that's not angry. You have a God who is for you. Many times we see him as this big angry guy in the sky, this angry guy that's separated from us. No, no, no. He is like a dad wanting you to come be with him. And he did a lot of things for you. Romans 8 will we'll really give, lay this out, but just look at Romans 8 real quick. Who will, them, who will then condemn us? No one for Christ Jesus died for us, was raised to life for us. He is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. Romans 8. If you read most of that text, if you want a reminder of all that God is for you, Go through that text and just underline four. It's over and over and over again. He's for you. God wants to be with you, but he's your advocate. Ultimately hanging on a cross, rising again from the dead, and is now interceding on your behalf. The hardest thing about that is believing it. Hardest thing about that is allowing my own insecurity, allowing my own debt, my own shame, and my own guilt to roll off me and to believe that. It's healing. And if you could be for somebody in a unique way, if you could be for somebody in a new way this week or this month or in this season of your life, you'll begin to see guilt and shame just roll off. One of the best uh, examples of this type of friendship, um, I've never had a dog in the middle of a sermon before. That's cool. I love that. <laughs> Hi. Yeah, that's fine. Um, so cool. Uh, you have, you have this, this idea of friendship. Um, J.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis had this close friendship. And this is what Tolkien said about this friendship with Lewis. It says, friendship with Lewis compensates for much, and besides giving constant pleasure and comfort, has done me much good from the contact with a man at once honest, brave, an intellectual, a scholar, a poet, and a philosopher, a lover, at least after a long pilgrimage of our Lord. Only from him did I ever get the idea that my stuff could be more than a private hobby. So Lord of the Rings doesn't happen unless Lewis says, hey, you got something more than just a hobby there. I mean, it just you know, loads of other writings about what it's like to be uh, growing with the Lord. Are you that type of friend for somebody? For them? You know, many, you know it's, I mean, so I'd, like, soapbox for a minute. Sometimes churches, we can get stuck and being against other people for the sake of our own advancement. And, it's, and it, it just it creates like a dirty sock in the room. Have you ever had like a bad sock somewhere in the room? Have you ever, you walk into certain churches, man, and you can feel that. Are you for people here? When's the last time you sent a text message that didn't need anything? It was just like, hey, I just wanted to bless you here. I just want to give you a word. I want to share my love for you. God, I love those. Why? Because it's just an idea that I am for you. I mean, in a world, in Providence right now, man, it's so competitive, right? 
life's competitive. Organizations are competitive. School is competitive. Like a lot of aspects of who we are are competitive in nature. Cut through the noise by being for somebody. Take your cynicism, check it at the door. Allow Jesus to heal you a bit. And just be for someone. So he says, I, I want you to make a commitment. Commit to being with people, being, commit to being for people because here's what happens is you begin to experience transformation. God changes this. It's unto the kingdom that you begin to see this, this type of thing takes place. When you're in this type of a relationship, a relationship that's a promise to you, not a premise, a promise to you, and they give you their presence and they give you their advocacy, you will be changed by that. And they will as well. This is the vision of God's love for us. He made a commitment to you. He is with you. He is for you. And he's changing you to become more like him. Relationships are this mutual back and forth. And the reason why you know this, the reason why you know this is because you stay away from certain people you don't want to become. Can I get an amen on that, right? Uh, one honest person in the background. Thank you very much. There's a lot of people that you will, in fact, stay away from because I don't want to become like them. A lot of people say that you are, the, you are the summary of your five closest friends. Why? Because being in a relationship will always affect who you are. But here's the deal. God, rich in mercy, full of grace. He commits to you. He is with you. He is for you because he wants you to live a life that he created and intended for you to live. And so that's the commitment today. That's the invitation today. Community is not just a relationship you need to fill some time. Baked within your biology, hardwired into your soul is this need to be around the people that God has created so that you can ultimately see the, the, the forness and the withness and the advocacy, the presence, the commitment that God has given to you and that you can be the same for other people. Are we, are we together this morning? The vision that God has given you, I want you to love people like I have loved you. So this week, commit your presence, commit your advocacy, and be changed by the kingdom. Father, this morning, we as a community come before you, and we ask you to change us because our culture is not aligned with this type of vision. And so, God, we, we submit to the invitation today as you being Lord over our life, you being the one that shapes us, changes, changes us. God, I pray today that you help us make a commitment, a rugged commitment to be with and to be for and to be changed by each other. God, heal us with this so that when we feel the next pulse of loneliness, the next pulse of being our individual selves, the next pulse of making a premise with each other. 
God, I pray that you convict us and move us into community. God, help us make promises that are eternal. And it's in your name we pray.